Welcome again to episode two of our Magnum Rewatch podcast. Um, thanks to Bradley Rains, by the way, for that uh, opening title theme that is Magnum-esque, evocative, without being copyright <laughs> infringing. Yeah, it's great. Uh, but speaking of the opening title theme, if you watch this episode, the I guess third episode of Magnum PI, you know what? There is not still. The opening title and credits. It's still got this weird slow down, not as good version with like more shots. Which is different still from the, it's different again from what was in the pilot. Mm-hmm. Very, very strange. But uh, yes, I am uh, Graham Stark, by the way. And that's. I'm Kathleen DeVere. That's Kathleen DeVere. And uh, we're with uh, Loading Ready Run, where we make funny things on the internet. And this is our rewatch podcast for Magnum PI because the show is amazing. Uh, well, def- it's pretty good. It's no, it's great. I'm really enjoying it. I've only I've only seen three full episodes now, and I'm <laughs> I'm really enjoying it so far. You're bought in. Yeah. Um, uh, I wouldn't say this is like the more one of the best episodes of Magnum ever. Uh, well, no, I mean it's the first season, right? Yeah. Hey, look, m- one of my all time favorite TV shows ever is Star Trek: The Next Generation. Mm-hmm. And please don't eat the snow in Hawaii was a way better two part pilot than Encounter at Farpoint. Yes, I will definitely say that. <laughs> Encounter at Farpoint was toilets in comparison to the rest of Next Generation when you look at <laughs> Please Don't Eat the Snow in Hawaii as compared to the legacy of Magnum. Mm-hmm. I mean, those, it's relative, right? Mm-hmm. But but um, uh, listen to the uh, first episode for the broad strokes of why we're doing a rewatch podcast for Magnum PI. But uh, for, for this episode, we'll be discussing uh, episode three, China Doll, originally aired December 18th, 1980, uh, with the synopsis, Magnum is hired to protect the soul of Sung, an ancient Chinese vase, until it can be delivered to its owner. And that's all they tell you. I mean, and that's uh, pretty straightforward, except for there's a crazy assassin who's out to get his hands on the vase. Yeah. Oh, no. Who, by the way, is played by uh, George Chung. He is a quintessential that guy character actor mm-hmm. except the character that he plays is the chinese dude he's played characters named mr hong and mr ling and mr tong and <laughs> he's he has 181 acting credits on imdb wow and almost every single one of them is like chinese guy is one or two episodes of a tv series he was the chinese ambassador in the west wing he was the chinese ambassador in lost Mr. Chung in Just Jordan. He's Grandpa Zing in The Race Walker. He's uh, the voice of some pirates in the Uncharted video games. Oh, hey, that's not technically an Asian role. That's true. I think. And who says there aren't good roles out there for minorities? As long as they only want to play pigeonholed minority <laughs> characters, Hollywood doesn't have a problem. More white men, please. According according to IMDb, he one of his best known roles is the Chinese maintenance worker. In the in the pursuit of happiness with uh, Will and Tiny Smith, so you know, hey, oh crazy in, Smith, hey in in uh, TV series Commander in Chief, he played the North Korean representative. Well, diversity is real, <laughs> anyhow. So the the episode opens with a young George Chung. <laughs> the episode opens with actually it opens with a uh, sort of a weird montage of like. This time on Magnum P.I. Yeah. Only without to, saying that. To it's get you excited. This like just this frenetic rapid fire montage of bits from the episode with no context. Hot chicks, car crashes, punching. Wow. Yeah. Like, and then into the opening title sequence. Which is which, actually a really neat thing. It's it's thankfully the weird silhouette cross 
overlay thing, which was very visually distracting mm. from the from the pilot, is gone. It's just shots of Magnum rolling around Hawaii and footage from the pilot and this episode. Yes, <laughs> essentially. Yeah, um, but it's so it, it's it's better looking, but the the quintessential uh, Magnum theme song is still not there. Mm-hmm. And then we get to Hawaii or. Where in Hawaii? It's a pretty seedy looking neighborhood. Downtown, it's like downtown Oahu, which is like the biggest island in Hawaii. Or no, Oahu is the island. I guess it's Honolulu. It's downtown it, Honolulu. It's the street that we previously saw. Um, no one giving a crap when Rick ran down at brandishing an Uzi. Yeah, I feel like the street is a no fucks given kind of street. Yeah. Um, and it's really seedy looking, but they do a really cool like kind of like they're filming people, and they also do like a first person uh POV shot. Uh, which is hard to do because this is like obviously way before GoPros had been invented. So this is like heavy camera gear that's like not exactly easy to carry around and all yeah. the, all that. And I thought that was a really I thought that was way more cinematography work than normally goes into a TV show. Yeah, uh, we're following um, we're following an Irish sailor as he arrives on a rickshaw and gets off and goes into a nightclub. And he's we, a nasty piece of work, too. Yeah, we see some exterior shots, but then we also see some POV shots of him being, you know, propositioned by a lady of the evening and uh he which he declines and he goes into the bar and he's got he's got a like a white captain's hat, a beard that would be impenetrable to laser and uh, a, like a Hawaiian shirt a Hawaiian and shirt. a pair of gnarly mom jeans, which I realize this is the 1980s and that's just what jeans look like, but they completely destroyed. Like these are the kind of jeans some sort of vegan hipster would wear today, but like a female vegan hipster, like they're like high waisted acid. <laughs> like they're not. So, but aside from that, he he's a nasty customer. Yeah. This guy, by the way, has also the actor, um, Lee DeBru, uh, has also done like, an episode of every television series, uh, mostly in the 80s and 90s. Mm. I'm trying to find if there's some sort of quintessential role that someone might remember him from, uh, but probably not. I mean, he's uh, he's nasty Irish. Like, he looks, he starts off and he's very personable, and he's going to sell some information to our uh, mysterious... Uh, Chinese antagonist, although we don't realize he is the antagonist yet, yes. uh, about the location of a woman named Mai Ling. And uh, then uh, the guy says for 5000 American dollars, which I honestly, like, how much would that be in $1980? Considering you can buy a Ferrari for sixty grand, So one-twelfth of a Ferrari. Yeah. Uh, we can actually, hold on, let's look that up. So according to usinflationcalculator.com. Oh, the most reputable source of U.S. inflation rate tracking. Yeah, with a cumulative rate of inflation of 187%. Holy crap! $5,000 in 1980 would be the equivalent of $14,300 today. Okay, so that is a that was a significant amount of money then, and it's a significant amount of money now. Like if Interestingly, like... it is no longer the same percentage of a Ferrari. Oh, yeah, that's true, <laughs> Ferraris actually. Ferraris have spiked. Ferrari's more expensive. Uh, but uh, so this guy basically comes up and he's like, uh, I will give you the, the where this woman is if you give me $15,000 if you want to equivalent. And, and that's a lot of money. God, $5,000 is still a lot of money. Yeah. Um, so there's this neat bit where the guy, uh, the, the, the guy played by George Chung, the character's name is Choi. Um, he puts, uh, puts $5,000 down on the table. And uh, the captain, by the way, whose name is Duffy. Um, uh, was, I don't think that's ever said. No. Uh, reaches reaches for the money, and Choi very, very quickly grabs it back away from him, like superhuman speed. And Duffy just laughs at him and goes, 
Okay, okay, buddy. All right. What what do we what are we practicing here? You got uh you got your uh mm-hmm. your your Wang Chen or your uh your, your Taekwondo. He's, your, he mispronounces Taekwondo. Yeah, Taekwondo, your, your Kung Fu, which literally just means martial art from China. Uh, um like karate or karate. Whatever. He's like listing off. He's like, which one is it? Which you know, what's your martial art of choice? Because obviously you know some kind of martial art. And then out of nowhere, Duffy just grabs his ear. Like mm-hmm completely surprises him just whoosh, lightning fast across the table and he's like because whatever the martial art is i've beaten it and it's never hurt me and don't even try it because i'll break your fingers yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'll i'll break your fingers like chopsticks he says which is maybe is that racist i that, don't know the question is that racist is going to come up a lot in the course of this <laughs> podcast uh, well no not really it's well it, it's, okay it's mostly just that one part later that categorically is racist but yeah. we'll get to that we'll get to that um uh so uh, he then lets him go and is like, so now for 5000 American dollars and your gold necklace, I will tell you this thing. And your gold and jade necklace. Yeah. And so Troy puts the necklace on the table and puts the money on the table and uh, takes off his glasses, which becomes relevant. Yeah. And, uh, That's his tell. You see, you see him sort of like working his fingers on one hand, sort of like almost like cracking his knuckles with one hand. Not that you hear it. And you see that there's a tattoo which is clearly not painted on, uh, uh, on the palm oh. of his hand of a red dragon. Uh-oh. Uh, and he sort of like makes a weird-looking fist. And then uh, Duffy, while he's counting his money, is like, yeah, so she runs, uh, the, the woman you're looking for, she runs an antique shop on Ko- Kauai. And then Choi just punches him. Like right in the side of the head. One, one hit, dead. Yeah, takes his money and his necklace back. Yeah, and puts his glasses back on and leaves. Uh-oh, this guy's a bad guy. Yeah, and uh, he does say what he practices. Which is, Which is uh, Wang Shen. Wang Shen, and I looked this up. This is a re- now. I like to p- give props to the uh, to the Magnum Research Department because Wang Shen is in fact a real form of martial arts, and this is not just a goo going to random uh, Wikipedia page. Like they would have had to go to a library and look this up, and it's a more obscure style of martial art, and it means eternal spring. It's also, and I apologize for butchering the pronunciation on all of these words, uh, Chisim Wangshen, and um, it is considered a soft-style martial art that utilizes the energy of the opponent to break their structure rather than trying to match their energy, which is not really how it's used, I would say. Well, the eternal here. spring kind of works, because the whole thing he does is, like, coil up and then just pop. Yeah, he's more of an offensive user than a defensive user. Uh, anyhow, uh, if you want to learn more about it, it, it has been, the present form has been preserved and developed by Grandmaster Andreas Hoffman. So you can yeah. go to his website. Uh, um, so Troy punches Duffy, takes all his stuff back, leaves the CD bar, and then we cut to Magnum and TC scaring the crap out of a pair of tourists. Oh yeah. Just hard cut to them in the helicopter. Uh, basically Magnum's catching a lift with TC over to Kauai. Kauai? Yeah. 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 Um, Because he's got, he's got a suite on for, shockingly he has a suite for the lady who runs the antique shop whose location we just found out. Well, she's, she's hired him. Not yet. Well, that he's going there to negotiate, to discuss being hired for. No, he's not. Really? He's just going there because he wants some. (laughs) I thought that he at least thought he had a case coming. Nope. Not at all. Oh, that I becomes that. A, that becomes a thing in the next scene. Anyway, so they're in the helicopter. He's complaining that TC's driving into the sun and he's hungover. 
Um, TC, meanwhile, starts... He's f- not hungover. He was out late last night oh, right. on a divorce case. Right. Taking pictures of some sort of philanderer. Right, that's that's why. Indeterminate gender. And TC starts flying really erratically, and the couple in the back is not enjoying it. No. And then they land, and uh, the two... Because they're, they're, they chartered the helicopter to fly over to Kauai, mm-hmm. uh, but they don't want to go back with TC. And and he's like, well, I guess I owe you half your money back. And I kind of liked this because it actually becomes it, not relevant, it, but it it comes up later. The husband of the of the tourist couple. By the way, these are like quintessential. Like they're wearing like matching uh, Hawaiian matching shirts. Hawaiian shirts. They both have lays. They both have big sun hats. Uh, they're like so touristy. These these people are from Omaha. Yeah. Right. So TC's trying to give him half the money back, and the husband's like, no, no, no. It's did whatever. Just let's just let's just end this awkward social interaction as quickly as we possibly can. And the wife is like, no, I will take that. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I'm kind of with the wife here though. I would, cause like I, I, even in $1980, a helicopter charter is probably not cheap. Yeah. I just liked that there was actual totally unnecessary characterization between the couple, right? That they were at, that they had different, they had differing opinions and it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I just like that. So then TC goes back to the helicopter while Magnum's helping like tie the rotors up and TC car- starts giving Magnum crap. And is like, I want you to fill up this gas tank and pay for it by the time I get back because you lost me that return fare. And I'm I'm watching this and I'm like, Magnum was not the one making you drive like an idiot. Magnum was trying to fall asleep. <laughs> so then uh, he gets the antique shop uh, to Mailing's antique shop, mm-hmm. and uh, her cousin or uncle cousin. is there. I yeah I know but they actually in one scene they refer to him as her uncle and in another scene they refer to him as their cousin as a well continuity error gaffs yeah um and he's packing something into a box and he's like where is she and he he will not talk to Magnum he, he he's just like a stone wall mm-hmm. uh, but then Maylin comes back and she's been um, planting flowers at her father's grave oh that's nice yeah very respectful of her mm-hmm. and then she uh, takes the box that. Cousin Ho has packed up and is like, great, so uh, let's go back to, uh, like, you flew here with TC? Great. Let's, uh, you and me, go back and uh, to Oahu. Oahu is the mm-hmm. room? Yeah. And uh, obviously I'll pay for this. And he's like, what? And she's like, I need you to protect me. And this is why Magnum wasn't going there for this, because Magnum makes a big deal about it. He's like, oh, I would have liked to have been asked. Because he, he thought Mei Ling wanted to see him for the nookie. And then he's like, Oh, you actually just want a job. I mean, that's the, they're not mutually exclusive knowing Magnum. No. But. Yeah. Uh, so he's like, all right, I'll protect you in this vase, I guess. And they go back to um, to the Robin Masters estate. Oh, yeah. Another change from the pilot is Magnum's Ferrari now says, the license plate now says Robin 1. Yes. Instead of an actual license plate number. But uh, apparently the license plate, because they use that shot of him peeling out. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of shots of Ferraris going down dirt roads and peeling out on grass. And yeah. I feel that a Ferrari owner today would not allow that to happen. <laughs> I feel like that is not covered under the sort of like general wear and tear of your Ferrari. Uh, I think it depends on whether or not you're the sort of person who would let your friend Magnum drive I one. would not. Also, hey, this is something weird. This is something I forgot to mention in uh, the first episode. Because we've, we've actually never referred to... Magnum's first name. Yes. Oh, yeah, it's Thomas. Which is Tom. Tom Magnum. But I just think it's weird that Tom Selleck is playing Tom Magnum. Like, it almost makes it... Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's why, that, that's why I brought it up, because they're both their name is Tom. And when you look at, like, Home Improvement, right, 
Tim Allen was playing. I can't even remember the actor's name or the the character's name. It was Tim uh, Tim Taylor, Tim mm-hmm. the Toolman Taylor. Uh, but they're both named Tim, and the idea is it's like this is sort of a fictionalized version of the character that they that he like their their stand up persona basically, right? Mm. And it's like, are they trying to say that Thomas Magnum, private investigator, is an exaggerated persona of who Tom Selleck really is. I feel like kind of, honestly, considering that they let him play the character he wanted to, pl- the way he wanted to play it, right? Yeah, it's like, if you if, think about the... If, like, if Tom Selleck had Magnum's investigative skills and the access and, to the resources that he does... And cali- this is complete literally, disregard for his own health and safety. Yeah, then this is literally how he would do it. I feel like I, feel like I actually never made that connection before because Magnum is Magnum. Right, mm-hmm. he is not Thomas Magnum. No. He is Magnum. No one ever, like, rarely, do people call him Tom. Yeah, uh, and uh, and Tom Selleck is, I don't know, an actor. Yeah, Meh. <laughs> I just thought that was interesting. And the thing is, though, when I see Tom Selleck and other stuff, I'm like Magnum. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I bet he hates that shit. Probably. All right. So, so they, anyhow, they get back to Robin Master's house. Um, Higgins hears the car coming up, so he of course. Sets Zeus and Apollo on in particular. Yeah, Higgins is doing Tai Chi in his, in the front lawn. He is actually in a shot that will get used in the opening titles for many years. Yes, um, there's many opening title shots that you will recognize if you watch this episode. Yeah, uh, and he's like, "All right, go," because he likes to harass Magnum. Because if Zeus and Apollo are trying to get at him, he can't get out of the Ferrari and, mm-hmm. until Higgins shows up. Only to be surprised when they stop barking. And so he goes over there to find, of course, that because the dogs apparently like women. Yeah, because in the first episode, the Swedish stewardesses in, and and Inga and Helga. Yes, and uh, Magnum's dead friend, Cook's sister Alice, mm. uh, was able to tame the dogs with no problem. So apparently, they just hate Magnum. These are terrible guard dogs. Send in Catwoman. That place is burgled. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, maybe she's dressed as a cat. I don't know. So Higgins comes around, says hi to Mayling. Magnum introduces them, and then uh, and then Magnum. Now this is Higgins says hi to Mayling in Mandarin. Canton, uh, Mandarin. Yeah, sorry, yeah. in Mandarin, and they talk back and forth in Mandarin. Yeah. Now I can tell you this: is they're talking that why they would be uh, why I know they're talking Mandarin is because later in the episode they talk about how you know these people are the, her family is descended from courtiers, uh, courtiers, courtiers, courtesans. She says courtiers, courtiers, which is not. That's the American pronunciation of of the last Chinese dynasty and like the and like the the dower uh, the dowager empress and stuff like that that were thrown out before the revolution, which means they are from mainland China, which means they don't, which means they almost certainly speak Mandarin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cantonese mostly just spoken in Hong Kong and a few other places like that. There's a fact for you. Nice. Um, but anyhow, facts. So this is this is where the is that racist comes up. Because the first thing Magnum says to Higgins is nice pajamas, which, because he's wearing his Tai Chi clothes. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. And I'm like, is that racist? That's a little, uh, that's a, that's maybe a, that's. Is, I, it, is it jerky or I racist would, I or would, both? I would say it's definitely culturally insensitive. Culture, yeah. I was like, eh. But after Magnum stands there like an idiot watching Higgins and Mailing uh, converse in Mandarin, his interjection to the conversation is to, by way of saying, could you both speak English, is to say, yeah, and I'll have an egg roll in a number five. To Higgins. Yeah. Not to Mei Ling, at least. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Higgins gives him a dirty look, and rightfully so. And the thing is, I'm declaring this fully in the, how did they get away with that on television? Because not being a racist had been invented in the 1980s. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, don't that, forget. That racist. This is still 10 years before um, uh, Dr. Pulowski on Next Generation would say that the 
<laughs> would say that the the pair of alien delegates would look better in soy sauce. The, well, she. The thing is, though, that's space racist, which is bad. But she's meant to be a diplomat. She's on the she's, she's a, on she's yeah, on the, the flagship is, of the Federation. Everybody hates Pulaski. That's okay. You're supposed to like Magnum. This is a this is this was supposed to be played for laughs. That was supposed to be funny, yeah. not funny. Well, what, I found that very offensive. Didn't like it. All right, racist. Anyhow. So then. The episode doesn't picks up from there though. Uh, my best, my favorite running gag. If you recall in the first episode, no one believes that that Magnum owns that Ferrari. Yes, and their only response is just to burst out laughing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so in this instance, uh, Higgins is like, "What are you doing here?" And uh, she says, "Oh, I've hired Magnum to be my protector." And Higgins just laughs. Just- There's no like protector. That's a weird thing to uh, Magnum to do. No, he just bursts out laughing. Through like almost tears, he's like, "I'm sorry, I'm just I can't protect." Woo-hoo-hoo. And Magnum's like, "Higgins, could you shut up? <laughs> could you Poor stop it. this?" Yeah. So you're, the sympathy has swung back over onto the Magnum side after that earlier gaffe. Yeah. Um, but when Higgins finds out what's in the box, which is actually we haven't talked about yet, cause, no. Uh, so what's in the box, Greg? Well, what's in the box? Mainling only talks about this now. Is uh, it's a vase? It's a vase called the Soul of Soon. The uh, S-O-O-N-G, Sung, the uh, Sung dynasty, basically an antiquity from that uh, from that dynasty, which was in what years? Okay, so between 960 and 1279, so back when, uh, I guess, European people were basically making huts out of mud and calling it a day, uh, the Sung <laughs> dynasty was going around, and there was, uh, I guess, the most... There was four emperors. There was Emperor Taizu, Emperor Kingzong, Emperor Gaozong, and Emperor Bing, uh, so there you go. Microsoft got an early start. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for making the joke I was going to make. Uh, that's what I'm here for. Uh, basically, it uh, had uh, it had parts of China, Hong Kong, Macau, and Vietnam was the actual like area of the dynasty. If you look at a map on Google, it's like basically the eastern half of China. Like it doesn't like it basically kind of stops around just west of Vietnam. And Higgins is super into this. Oh, Higgins knows what the Sung Dynasty is. He knows when it was. He's like, can I see the, can I see the vase? And she's like, no, it's, I'm just a go-between. It was sealed by the seller and it has to be unsealed by the client. So sorry, we can't do that. Mm. And they're like, all right, well, I guess we'll put it in the, in the safe. And there's this bit that I really enjoy. So the safe, by the way, in the main house is behind a painting of the queen. And it's young foxy queen because it's 35 years ago. Lizzie is looking good. Because Higgins, of course, is a is is a good is an upstanding citizen of the Commonwealth. Mm-hmm. And uh uh Magnum basically tricks him into opening the safe. Because Magnum's like, Well, if you're not gonna open the safe, I'm gonna open the safe. Watch me. And Higgins is like, No, d- d- step aside, I'll open this bloody safe, and then asks him afterwards. He's like, So how were you gonna have opened the safe? How did you when did you figure out how to open the safe? And Magnum's like, just now I watched you open it. <laughs> he just tricked him into doing it. And then he and Mailing leave the scene, and then Higgins mugs to the camera. Higgins actually gives a withering look directly to the audience. Yeah, I felt I felt like there was definitely a look at the camera in the first episode, and I thought, oh, you know, that might have been a little bit accidental. He was supposed to be looking past, and that was turned out to be a really good shot, and they just wanted to use it anyhow, which seems like a weak mental excuse considering how good the rest of the cinematography has been in the in the it, sort it, of early it, Magnum. It really has been. It's really good, guys. Like, this is a way better shot than most TV shows, but this is directly, like, this is, this is a fourth wall-breaking look. By the way... If you l- want to learn more about the Sung Dynasty, here's what the Sung Dynasty's done for us. Oh. They were the first government in world history to issue banknotes and paper money. Oh, wow. They were the first Chinese government to establish a permanent standing navy. And 
this was the first known use of gunpowder and the first discernment of true north using a compass. So I'd like to point out all of that happened while Europeans in mud huts were complaining about Vikings. Hmm. So there you go. Pretty cool. So then we cut to uh, Rick and Magnum betting on dragon boats. <laughs> Mag- Magnum is losing. Magnum is losing. Um, and oh, yeah. Rick 50 bucks? That is a large bet. Yeah. I wouldn't make a $50 bet today. Well, Rick needs the help because his crappy club is gone. Yeah. never. Can't. It is never mentioned. Uh, maybe it's established in a later episode, but just that terrible Casablanca club, that whole thing, Rick in like the white tux coat pretending to be Humphrey Bogart, it's just not mentioned. No. It doesn't happen. He works at a beachfront bar. Yeah, it's the King Kamehameha Club, which comes up later. Uh, and it is like a nice, it's a really classy beachfront establish, establishment. Rick is like the manager or something yeah. like that. In the in the trivia for the show, his his other club failed somehow. Mm. Uh, it's never, it's certainly or never established in this episode. Busted by the police for cocaine. Maybe it's not really Distribu- clear. I don't know. Anyhow, so now, so <clears throat> the King Kamehameha Club is a relevant location to the rest of the Magnum series, and we will be coming back to this be- this beautiful beachfront bar often. Yeah. So Magnum and Mayling walk out on a jetty, and he he's annoyed that he she's not being a hundred percent clear with him, and she won't. She he presses her for more information. She won't tell him. He criticizes her for using her sexiness to make him do what he wants. Mailing is very pretty. To which she responds by using her sexiness to shut him up, and he goes with it. Yeah. He's like, okay. He does, after that, after she tries to kiss him, he does say, so why did you lie to Higgins about the the vase? Which is very, very smart. Well, that's the, yeah, uh, because uh, she said, of course, that she's only the go-between and that it was... The, the vase was sealed by the seller and and whatever, but Magnum saw Cousin Ho seal the box when he went to Mailing's uh, store, and she didn't know that. And so she, so he's like, "So why aren't you telling me? Why do you like you just you're just using you, all your sexy feminine wiles to to uh, make me do what you want?" And she's like, "Oh no, I'm n- no here. Come on, kiss me." And he's like, "Okay," but then he's like, "No, tell me more." He gets one kiss, but not. Multiple kisses. And then... <clears throat> because Magnum is an overall tends to be quite respectful of women, which I will true. give him an A-plus for. Then, a landmark moment in American television. The first... That we're aware of. We haven't done... We haven't done... Is this, is, is the, this most, in the official Magnum trivia? No. We haven't done the most diligent research on this that we can. Have we, we done are, zero we are, research? We are prepared to call that <laughs> this are. is the first... You are. The first televised bra... Oh yeah! <laughs> as the as the valet from the Kamehameha Club uh, runs out to Magnum and goes, "It's TC, brah." Yeah, yeah, that was that. That is in fact a landmark, incredible moment. <laughs> if you're looking for the, uh, the world first, <laughs> the patient zero for bra, bra, bra. It's right there on Magnum. Go back, <laughs> episode three, China Doll. The roots go back further than anyone could have ever imagined. Granted, there was 12 years of Hawaii Five O that preceded this, so it's yeah. Well, we haven't seen that, so as far as we're concerned, <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm with you on this. So what happened? Uh, uh, there was a scene in there that I guess we forgot to talk about, where Troy from earlier goes and talks to TC and is like, "Hey, I need you to give me a lift to to the other island." TC's like, "Oh, sweet, let's go in my office." Oh, I'm realizing now that what we the scene we missed. Uh, I'm sorry. Apologies. This is all this is all out of order. Way back when Magnum and Mei Ling leave the antique store, Choi shows up there 
right after they've oh, yeah. left and threatens cousin Ho to tell to tell him what happened like where Mei Ling is. And he does this by just breaking pottery. <laughs> breaking pottery in a kind of unconvincing like Kung priceless Fu artifacts. Kind of he's like, where is she? And Ho just stands there and so he breaks a vase and he's like, Where is she? And he he just stands there. So he breaks a different vase. He just breaks a series of vases until eventually Ho says She's, you know, like she's gone to Oahu on that helicopter that's flying past outside, and then Choi kills him. So I guess that was kind of relevant. So that's I mean, it's kind of relevant. Choi body count two for the episode. Mm-hmm. So then, so you know, he's already killed two people, and now he's alone with TC. He, he's a bad man. Yeah. So the valet runs up. Is TC bra? TC's alive, but he does have br- several broken ribs and a head injury. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah. TC is a rugged man, mm-hmm. but not that rugged. Uh. This is this is an interesting thought or an interesting thing that I thought is that uh, then Mei Ling is like, why don't we take him to a hospital? And Rick, as he's slicing TC's shirt open, says that he knows that the hospitals are terrible. And he, as a field medic, we're now finding out that he was the medic in Vietnam, mm. knows better than any of them. I don't know if that's true. Maybe they just don't have medical insurance. That's probably more likely. So he he tapes up. Uh, TC and uh, they find out that uh, uh, Choi questioned him, but didn't kill him. But didn't kill him, and also, you know, they said, "Did well? Did you talk?" And he says, "Do I look like I talked?" And we know actually that <laughs> we know that be- being alive means he didn't talk because the two previous people have told Choi their information and he's killed them immediately. Yeah. So <laughs> clearly, if you if if he's not going to talk, you might need to go back later and try to get more information out of him. Yeah. Um. So now Magnum's like, okay, now I need to really know what's going on here. So they get in the car and they and Mei Ling is like, all right, let's we we need to go to this other place. We need to go to my uncle's house. And he's like, okay, what what is actually the story? And of course, it's nineteen eighty. You know who's coming for the vase? <gasps> Chinese communists. Chinese communists. So bad. Richard Nixon had only gone there a few years earlier to normalize relations. You have to remember that. That mm-hmm. happened in the seventies. There you go. So there you go. Like, the, the threat of red China is real in, in December 1980. Well, and the thing is, you know, nowadays we think of China and we're like, okay, it's basically a first world country in most of the parts. And like, they're basically like us, except they have their own Twitter and their own Facebook and their own Amazon because they're, because they have like uh, a filtered internet. But in the 1980s, Chinese, communist China was a very different place uh, and people very rarely saw People from mainland China, like there's obviously Chinese people who live all over the world and in like Hong Kong and like uh, the Philippines and stuff like that and Singapore. But mainland China, communist China, oh, Taiwan, sorry, Taiwan, uh, you did not see people like that. It was extremely hard to get out of the country, right? You could not, regular people had a very hard time getting travel visas. Like they would sometimes send students on cultural exchanges. It was hard to get into China. So if somebody has left China, something big has happened. Like, that is the historical context for that. If you want to read more, there's a really good series of books written by a Canadian journalist called Jan Wong, and one of them is called Red China Blues, and it's about her time going to China in the 1980s as a student. And it's really interesting, and it gives you an idea of the kind of culture that was there at the time. Blah, blah, blah. I have a much lighter question for you. Okay. Uh, There's a scene change, whether driving around, hauling ass in in this convertible, which is with the top down. 
where Mei Ling starts to put her hair up and then oh, yeah. cuts to them pulling up outside her uncle's house. And, and it looks fucking perfect. It's done in, ama- in an amazing updo. And like a huge like bouffant bun. As someone with long hair, how feasible is that in an open convertible? Absolutely nil. <laughs> there is no way that if you had tried to do that, like kind of, and it's like, it's like the kind of, like it's like a Dr. Quinn medicine woman kind of like bun. Like instead of like being slick to the head, it like kind of poofs out, but it's a completely season, like. Season one Voyager Janeway. Yeah, season one Voyager Janeway is yeah. the, is a really uh, good comparison here. There is literally no way to get your hair that nice and that even in that flat. I mean, probably by yourself. In a wind tunnel? <laughs> well, I mean, in a wind tunnel, you may as well, like, it's literally pissing in the wind, I feel. It's like, so anyhow, a hairdresser intervened, and her hair looks amazing. Yeah, so they arrive at her uncle's house, and she and her uncle start talking in Mandarin, and Magnum's like, could you speak English? And she's like, no, he doesn't speak English. And Magnum's like, what about French? No. What about Vietnamese? No. Well, and then so we've now learned that Magnum knows English, French, and Vietnamese. See, I think there's a lot of like little ridiculous lines that are in here for no, then like plot things that are in here for no other reason than to establish more facts about the characters. Which, like, which is great because it's done naturally. Yeah, it is done naturally. But like that, that like whole him not speaking English is really only there because it lets it lets the writers put out that Magnum can speak three languages, and the reason they don't, t- and the reason My Ling even asks about taking TC to a hospital instead of just having him bandaged up is so that they can drop the fact that Rick was a field medic. Yeah. Right? So that's like a good but it, way to... But it's not it's not done in a ham-fisted way. The... I'm actually really impressed by... I, I talk about it later, but I'm really impressed by the characterization of these, of the four main characters. Yeah. I think it's interesting. Um, so uh, they, uh, they talk for a bit, and uh, in the th- through that scene and in the car ride over... Mailing basically spills all the beans that this vase was made for the Sung Emperor and has been passed down and protected for generations. And she's like, My, it was presented to my great great grandfather, mm-hmm. I think she said, who died protecting there, it. And then yeah. her great grandfather who died protecting it. The reason it. why the Chinese communists are after it is because. The I guess I should say dowager it's, it's, em- not, it's not just because it's a nice vase. No, the dem- the Empress Dowager, the Dowager Empress, the last sort of Empress of China, who's also an extremely interesting and really cool political figure. Talking about her is way outside the scope of this podcast, <laughs> yes. though. Uh, but she gave it to Mei Ling's ancestor and uh, to be returned once a ruler, like a, a, a proper ruling monarch, is back in charge of China. Mm-hmm. So the reason why the Chinese communists are after that, even though it isn't stated, is because it is a historical artifact that will give legitimacy to their totalitarian rule of the country. Yes. All her ancestors basically have died protecting this thing. Mm-hmm. And now it's on her. So she's trying to get it to her cousin who lives in San Francisco. Yeah. So Magnum leaves Mei Ling uh, with her uncle and gets in the car and drives away. And then we get the Magnum narration recap mm-hmm. where he puts together why TC was left alive. Because he realizes Choi followed TC to Magnum and then followed Magnum to Mei Ling's uncle's house. See, that's really smart. It's incredibly smart. So before he's even... Well put together TV show. So b- before, no potholes here. Before he's even halfway home, he whips a... Whips <laughs> whip, a shitty. Whips a shitty. Like, massive U-turn. Tears off back to her uncle's house. But it's too late. The door's been kicked completely apart. Uh, Mei Ling is gone and her uncle has a note uh, with a location to uh, make an exchange, the vase for Mei Ling. And so, <laughs> over a shot of a woman in a bikini showering, 
Yeah, which is we hear that we hear Magnum say. So I went home, got Higgins to open the safe, uh, got the vase, set some stuff up, and now I'm waiting downtown. And then it, we rack focus from the woman showering to Magnum waiting on the beach. Yeah, it's a weird shot. It's. I feel like perhaps it's like twenty seconds of just Magnum narration over this woman's face, yeah. just going. Uh, I I feel like perhaps that they realized that they did not have enough. Like they didn't have the time to shoot Magnum doing all of this. So they just change it to a narration and then they're like, well, why don't we do like an arty rack focus shot with a hot chick? It was a nice rack focus shot. Yeah. <coughs> rack focus. Well, it's, it's, it's her face. Yeah. It's not, yeah. it's not that bad. So the payphone rings. It's been, it's two hours late. He said noon. It's been, it's, it's already past 2 PM, but the payphone that Magnum's waiting by finally rings. By the way, Magnum is on the beach in a long sleeve t-shirt and full jeans. And a jacket, I think actually. I don't think he's wearing a jacket. I just think he's wearing like the white 1980s shirt. Yeah. Anyway, so the phone rings. The guy talks to him briefly. And then Magnum starts like walking down the beach trying to find the guy. And out of fucking nowhere, Ninja Star. A ninja star flies into the tree beside Magnum. Poor form, Magnum Research Department. And he turns around and goes back. Very strange. So he he picks up the phone again. And the guy says... um, and this is this this is a, not a smart move on the part of Choi. Yeah, this is, he seems like really smart up until this point. He says, "Mailing's on the beach. You got to find her. Where's where's the thing?" And Magnum says, "Go to this address. Go go to this intersection near here. There's a there's a there's a blue pedicab waiting for you." Hmm. And it's like, "Okay, so we're done it." So Magnum's like, "So Mailing's been on the beach for like eight hours in the sun. In the sun, probably drugged." Yeah. I got to find her ASAP or she'll die of exposure or whatever. Yeah, heat stroke. While he's looking, we see this pedicab, which is being driven by Rick. <laughs> oh, now, hey, if you've ever seen Magnum, you'll know this pedicab uh, scene where Rick meets Choi is, in fact, the sort of iconic scene of Rick from the opening titles. Mm-hmm. And until I watched this episode, because I had never seen this episode before, I did not know where that came from. And I was always kind of curious to what episode? Why was, is Rick driving a pedicab? Exactly. I was like, what happened? Where? And this, of course, is you know used for pretty much the entire run of the show. So I thought that was neat. Yeah. Magnum fans may find that interesting. And who tries to get in the pedicab? Oh, my goodness. It's those tourists. The tourists who had a bad helicopter ride with TC earlier. And uh, <laughs> they, they're trying to get in the pedicab. And the guys and Rick is like, no, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on tanning break. Sorry. And the husband is like, oh, oh, well, okay. And the wife is really upset. She's like, well, why are you even? And then Rick is like, look, here, gives them cash. Is like, take a cab. It'll be faster and safer. <laughs> and then the husband's like, well, I don't know about any of this. And the wife goes, sweet, great. Takes the money and they and they leave. The wife's kind of a bee, but I would do the same thing. I'd be like, <laughs> free money, awesome. So then Choi shows up and uh, gets in the pedicab, and he and Rick uh, take off. And uh, at the same time, Magnum finds Mei Ling on the beach, who, despite being in the sun for eight hours, is not remotely sunburned. Even when he takes off her sunglasses, there's no, like, different coloration on her face. I know. I know. Her lips are a bit chapped. They tried. I feel like this is like a fall down in the makeup department. I don't know how she's not sunburned to hell. Oh, she would be. In real life, she'd be, like, completely, like, blistering. Yeah. It'd be awful. Choi and Rick are riding along. Rick tells him that the vase is under the seat. Uh, Choi opens the box, looks at the vase, sees TC's helicopter overhead, thinks something might be up, looks at the vase harder. Hard cut to Rick yelling at Magnum back at uh, back at the house mm-hmm. um, because 
he uh, Troy shattered the vase and then started chasing Rick, and Rick hauled ass away. Yeah, Rick apparently a very fast runner. <laughs> yeah, and uh, uh, Magnum gives TC guff for not landing the helicopter more quickly because he was supposed to be Rick's backup. <laughs> and uh, I like how all of these shenanigans involve a fucking helicopter. By the way, like this is ridiculous. You can't do this shit today. But these guys, this is the scene I was talking about where they're all they're so well characterized. They're just like giving each other crap and like. Like, it's a serious thing, but they're still joking like friends, mm-hmm. which I really like. Except, of course, Higgins, who is horrified to learn that, A, the Sung Dynasty vase is not, or was not, because it's now been shattered, a Sung Dynasty vase. It was a Ming century, or a Ming Dynasty reproduction. A fake. No, a reproduction. A fake, says Magnum multiple times to Higgins' chagrin. A reproduction repeats Mag- or repeats Higgins every single time. Yeah. Because the Because it's uh, still a Ming dynasty vase is still like fifteen or still like five hundred years old, right? Yeah, and still would have been worth one Ferrari. Yeah, about <laughs> he's, sixty thousand. He said pounds. about fifty, sixty thousand sorry, pounds actually. Pounds. Which is even more. That's probably two Ferraris. Wow. Jeez. Um and so and now uh, it is, of course, worth nothing. Yeah. So Mayling's in the hospital and is in no position to talk, but she'll be okay. And so they have to figure out where what's up with. They're this. applying aloe to her. Yeah. <laughs> just slathered in aloe. And so they're like, so this is obviously a fake that was to distract us. This is why she didn't want Higgins to see it because he would have realized that it was a reproduction. So where's the real one? Wait a minute. At the beginning of the episode, when she came back from planting flowers at her father's grave, she wasn't planting flowers, was she? So they. They take off for the Chinese cemetery mm-hmm. to try and find where they figure that she buried it, um, and they see Choi scrabbling around in the in the potting soil beside the beside the grave. But TC can't land because there's no place to land, so Magnum has to jump out of the helicopter. Oh my god! And this shot is amazing because it's so clearly, absolutely not Magnum at all. It's this. It's, it's one shot. It's a shot up at the helicopter. The guy. The not Magnum stuntman, or the not Tom Selleck stuntman, jumps from the helicopter out the bottom of shot, and then the camera pans down to actual Tom Selleck yeah, getting like, up. Getting up out of some tall grass. So it's actually a really nicely done shot. It was, yeah, it was very good. However, <laughs> it's so not, it's so obviously, like this guy is like a 45-year-old Italian dude, right? Like He looks like Mario more than he looks like Tom Selleck. Um, and the, but, but before he jumps out of the helicopter, TC tells tells Magnum what we've been noticing all episode, which is his tell mm-hmm. is that he blinks before he strikes. Which is a weird, yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> anyway, this scene now peppered with six million dollar man sound effects. Yeah, inexplicably. Yeah, just like the. Like I guess it's sound supposed effect. to make. I guess was this 1980 shorthand for tension? Yeah, it's actually just a music sting. It's not actually intended just, as a reference to the Six Million Dollar Man. It's made just, famous in Six Million Dollar Man. Yeah, this is like is it like using a Wilhelm scream today. It's just kind of a reference. No, because no. Wilhelm is because it, it was not the thing. Is like the six the sound effect in the Six Million Dollar Man and the Bionic Woman um, was happened when they used their bionic powers. Mm. Right, it was meant to indicate like now he's using his super strength. Whereas this, it is it, it is just a tension sting. Yeah. It's just a bad choice. Of yeah, thing. and actually, before we get to the finale of the episode, I want to talk about how the cinematography is good, mm-hmm. the acting is good, yeah. and perhaps I have low expectations for 1980s like like baddie of the week serial like uh, like comedy dramas. Mm. But the writing is actually surprisingly good. Like the characterization is good mm-hmm. and like the plots are not stupid and filled with holes like many of these shows kind of end up being. Like TJ Hooker's bad. <laughs> if you ever watch that. Oh yeah. Um 
but the music is fucking terrible. It, like it's, it's really, really bad. It's inconsistent for the for um the what's happening in the scene. Like yeah. it's not. It doesn't build like it's always like these weird choices and like just bad sound effects and and. I don't know. Anyhow, bad music, bad sound effects for the most part. Sound editing fine, which is of course the squeals and the gunshots and stuff, but the actual just like musical sting choices are Yeah. That's me making a thumbs down. So he gets to the he gets to the to the grave. By the way, let's talk about what Choi looks like. Choi uh has massive glasses. Mm-hmm. Like super like what today would be hipster glasses. Like. Oh yeah. They're like Napoleon Dynamite glasses. Yeah. Um, they were very trendy at the time. I'm very sure. like shaggy seventies hair. Yeah, like sort of like he looks a little bit out of style. Yeah, because it's this is the eighties. Well, yeah, it's it's, looks... it's nineteen eighty, so yeah, the seventies style is still super in. Yeah, but... but like he's definitely wearing like a like a big white collar over a black suit. Like I feel like he's supposed to look a little bit dated and dorky he's got... because he's supposed to be from China and they don't have access to fashion and mm-hmm. style. Big lapels. Big lapels. Right, and like honestly slightly flared pants like yeah. they're not bell bottoms but they're slightly flared pants yeah he's got like a black suit and like the big lapel big glasses the sort of the uh hair that would not be out of place in a reunion of the monkeys yeah which by the way he looks he looks great <laughs> he looks badass yeah i think i think he looks sweet in context of the show but you're but you're right and so magnum gets to the grave and realizes that the guy scrabbling around in there is not actually Choi. He just happens to be wearing like a similar like black jacket and white lapels. Yeah. And has sort of a similar haircut, but not super similar and looks completely different. Mm-hmm. And because and obviously this is just the cinematographer, like the trying to drive it home. This is a different person. They pan over to each of his palms and show that there's no red dragon there. And I'm thinking, is that racist? Are they thinking that white people can't tell Chinese people apart even though these two people look completely fucking different? Or are they just making this painfully obvious? <laughs> so that's my last, is that racist moment? He looks like, he actually looks like Justin Long. He does, actually. <laughs> he looks, it's really weird. Anyway, um, so then Magnum's like, wait, but you're not. And then the back of his hand, the hand holding the gun, gets hit with another ninja star. And Magnum is fine after this, by the way. A he pulls it out. star. No permanent tendon damage. So the other guy uh, runs away. I think the other guy was actually was on Mailing's side. Yeah, if I recall that's correct. her cousin. That's her other cousin. Who's like going? Who he was the guy who was trying to take it back to America. Right. So this whole thing was an elaborate ruse. So, a pretty clever one, honestly. So he takes it, runs off. Um, but Choi is still trying to steal it. So Choi attacks Magnum. They scrap a little bit. TC flies overhead, distracts Choi for just long enough for Magnum to pull his gun up and put it. Well, Magnum had his gun, but it got knocked out of his hand. Yeah. And then Choi got the other hand. And then, yeah, and then Magnum was able to regain his gun. Yeah. And so then they're in in a standoff where Choi has his Wang Chun fist ready and primed. Magnum has a gun pointing at his head. I'm doing the pose. Not that you can tell. (laughs) Magnum says, Magnum says, you need to, uh, he basically does a do you feel lucky punk kind of one liner. Yeah. And then you're like, wait, what's happening here? Because that gun is right beside the dude's head. And, and then, then he, you see Choi blink. Cut to a close-up of Choi's eyes. He blinks. Cut to black on the sound of a gunshot. Yeah, so Magnum just, like, blows this guy's head off. So now we're up to, what, how many how many, how many many times has Magnum killed people with no consequences? We're, we're two for two now. Who, who did he kill in the pilot? The, the, the gold smuggler, Laboul. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so we're and then but then also those hitmen both died. So we're up to four consequence free deaths in two in three episodes. Hey, Rick killed the one guy. Rick killed that guy. Yes. 
Magnum, I feel, is responsible for the guy who died in the car crash. He drove off a cliff. <laughs> Anyhow. Magnum has has shot two people dead. Yes. He shot this guy in the head How, at y- point blank yeah. over him. Yeah. He would have been covered in stuff. In a fine mist of joy. Yeah. Um, and then cut to back to the big house. Everybody's having fun and relaxing. <laughs> Everything's fine. Um, uh, the, the vase is cool. Um, uh, Higgins has mostly reassembled the Ming Dynasty reproduction. Yeah, which I think he's going to keep, I assume. <laughs> I, well, I mean, it's not worth anything, but it's cool. Yeah, he says something glib to Magnum about getting in the safe, and then Magnum turns and does the shot from the end of the opening titles where he does this weird sort of like turn and then double eyebrow raise. Oh, yeah, it's like the che- like you've probably seen it. There's probably gifts of it, but it's like Magnum turns, looks dead at the camera, and then wiggles his eyebrows twice in a kind of, mm, I know, don't worry, kind of like smug. And then leaves smug. the room. Yeah, then leaves the room and Higgins is like, wait a minute. And then goes and checks the safe. And in fact, Magnum has, has been in the safe and taken the thing out of the safe. to Like the money, I guess, to pay for dinner or something. He, he said and left like some statues behind and Higgins. Is, say, and a note that says, hi, guy. Yeah, and then, they can, then, <laughs> and then Higgins is like, Nrr. it makes, is like sort of upset. And then we see that same eyebrow waggle shot horizontally flipped played again and then fr- freeze frame cut to end credits well i mean this is this is before gifts were invented and before the internet so if you found that moment to be of of smug magnum to be uh panty moisteningly arousing this is your only chance to see it again unless you had de- like recorded this and do you, and uh I, f- I think the vcrs were really expensive in the early 80s so you know how would you know to do this You'd have to wait till this came out on tape years later. The TV was not always on demand. Yeah. So like this this moment had to had to be replayed so it would last with people as they were going to sleep touching themselves, I guess. <laughs> oh god. I feel that Magnum was a huge sex or Magnum was. I don't need to feel about I don't need to infer. Magnum <laughs> was a gigantic sex symbol. So hairy. Well, yeah, but that was cool. I know. That wasn't a that wasn't a value judgment. Earlier in the episode, you see uh, like a perfectly normal looking guy like der- derping around on the beach while Magnum and Mailing are talking on a pier, and for some inexplicable reason, he's wearing a t shirt even though he's got a great bod. And honestly, he's probably because he didn't have a hairy chest. <sighs> like it's the exact opposite. Like today nowadays, we're like, oh, I'm kind of hairy. Got some shoulder hair going on. Don't know if I want to go to the beach and take off my shirt. Back in those days, shoulder hair was fine. The more hair you had, the better. Made you masculine. We would rather a literal bear. Yeah. I want to see an episode of Magnum where Magnum is digitally replaced with an actual grizzly bear. And all of his dialogue is just... I mean, we could work on it. (laughs) Anyhow. So that was episode three, China Doll. Overall, Um, I'd give this episode a 7.5 out of 10. Not that our rating scale means anything, and it may not even come back for the next episode. It probably won't. No. No, it was... it was fine. It was it was not exciting, but I, there was a lot of stuff in it I liked, and uh, I'm I'm super enjoying uh, going through this show now. I'm looking forward to the next episode, which is titled "Thank Heaven for Little Girls and Big Ones Too." In my heart, I hope that the big one is played by Leslie Jones, but it's probably not the case. And Leslie Jones, I don't believe, was alive at the time. I mean, she's probably like 36, maybe at the oldest. All right, probably not. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, the ability for us to do this podcast is uh, made possible by your kind support on our Patreon, patreon.com slash loading ready run. And we uh, really appreciate you supporting and listening to the show. So uh, tell us what you think. Tell your friends. Um, tell any fans of Magnum you might know. I guess. 
And I, I wish I had some sort of Magnum-related sign-off, but I waggling my eyebrows is silent, so... Well, we'll have to work on that. All right. Uh, uh, Zeus, Apollo, kill. Ah! <laughs> Talk to you next time. <laughs> <laughs>